Uh, black colleges depend too much on grants, and I think they've got to build more assets, so helping them build their endowments is important. And getting them less reliant on borrowing to improve the qualities of the campus and getting philanthropic investment. Education is a proven key to individual economic stability and well-being. COVID-19 and the Black Lives Matter movement have focused the nation's attention on the disparities in economic opportunity between Black and white America. Those events are bringing new urgency to efforts to ensure that more Black students get and stay on the pathway to economic independence associated with obtaining a college degree. Welcome to the Managing the Future of Work podcast from Harvard Business School. I'm your host, Harvard Business School professor and visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, Joe Fuller. UNCF, founded in 1944 as the United Negro College Fund, supports 37 historically black colleges and universities, or HBCUs. It also administers scholarships and internships. UNCF President and CEO Michael Lomax joins me to talk about how these historically underfunded institutions are working to expand their traditional role in bolstering the black middle class. Dr. Lomax will share with us information as to the role of HBCUs in enhancing degree completion and economic outcomes for African-American students. He also argues that the present moment has the potential to galvanize support for HBCUs and to attract more private and public resources to support their missions. As the U.S. reckons with systemic bias, will HBCUs have the backing they need to prepare students for future economic opportunities and help reduce economic inequality? Well, Dr. Lomax, welcome to the Managing the Future of Work podcast. Well, I'm delighted to be here, Joe. Thanks for the invitation. Michael, UNCF, formerly known as the United Negro College Fund, is is certainly something familiar to me, something I grew up hearing about on television. And of course, both my parents were educators, so I heard about historically black colleges and universities from them. But I don't think many of our listeners will be as familiar with UNCF and what it does today. Could you give us just a little background to start off? Sure. You know, and and uh, United Negro College Fund, and we still use that a full name on occasion, but it's it's largely known by its initials, UNCF, founded 1944 at the end of World War II. It was founded by two college presidents, uh, Mary McLeod Bethune, black woman, founder of uh, what is today known as Bethune-Cookman University in mm-hmm. Daytona Beach, Florida, and by uh, Frederick Douglass Patterson, the third president of then Tuskegee Institute, now Tuskegee University. And Dr. Patterson and Dr. Bethune came together and decided at the end of the war that you know black people had fought for a democracy that didn't apply to them. They had proven themselves uh, heroic in the case of the Tuskegee Airmen fighting sorties over Europe. And they felt like when the troops came back, they were going to need to get a great education to prepare them for hopefully a, a more opportunities in the post-war economy. And so they decided to bring all the Black college presidents together and create what would be a United Negro College fundraising organization. They enlisted John D. Rockefeller to lead the first campaign. They raised $750,000 in this United campaign in 1944, equivalent to $10 million today. And in the 74 intervening years, uh, 76 intervening years, we've raised 
$5 billion and helped 500,000 students earn college degrees. Today, UNCF awards about $100 million in scholarships every year. It supports 37 of the 101 private historically black colleges. And we are advocates for investment in historically black colleges and in the post-secondary college education of black American citizens. That's us in a nutshell. So tell me about the historic role. That was the ambition. That's how it got started. Um, how has it unfolded since the end of World War II? And, and how has it affected the society broadly, the economy broadly? How do you, how do you rate yourself relative to their ambitions? Well, I, I rate ourselves very high. UNCF as a, a social enterprise and historically black colleges as the medium that we use to achieve our goals were really designed to ensure that black folks got the education that would prepare them not for the past, but for the future. And so getting a college degree enabled them to become teachers and go on to medical school and become lawyers and professionals to start businesses. And one of the important things that UNCF promoted, as did historically black colleges, is that there would be a leadership class in the African-American community, a class that was driving social change so that the kind of old stereotypes of Black people as both not uneducated and uneducable were challenged by producing highly educated graduates who would go on to take important places in uh, American society. You think about Thurgood Marshall, Martin Luther King, John Lewis, Toni Morrison, and UNCF's role originally was to support historically black colleges. And beginning in the 1960s, our big role was that we were producing significant scholarship support that would help individual students achieve their dreams of a college education. And the biggest business that UNCF has had over the last 20 years has been the scholarship business. Although we now believe that it is the educational institution that is the lever of change. Well, let's let's talk about what you just said a little bit, because you mentioned you think the institution is as important to understand in terms of creating success for the student. Over the evolution of UNCF, historically, white colleges that would not have been actively recruiting African-American students, of course, began to seek diversity and and much more widespread enrollment of African-Americans outside of historically black colleges, universities. How did that affect UNCF and how does, has it affected your institutions? African-Americans are 10 to 12, 13 percent of the population. Historically, black colleges, which were founded after the Civil War, are largely located in the old Confederate states, although there are some in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Missouri. Beginning in the 1960s, white colleges, if I can use that as a term, began to more significantly open their doors to African-Americans, and that provided more opportunity for higher education. You know, we often talk about it as if, you know, these doors were opened widely and Huge numbers of black people began to attend, you know, elite public and private institutions. And as we know, that's just not the case. I mean, if you go out to California, where I grew up, the University of California has a very small black population, although it has been integrated for decades. The Ivy League institutions, their black enrollments are not equivalent to the percentage of black people in the population. So we often talk about this competition 
from white institutions. But really, the, the big opportunities that expanded for Black people tended to be in the open enrollment, the city colleges, the community colleges, the two-year institutions. And those have opened up. They have not always been successful environments for African-Americans. So HBCUs, our enrollments have grown. When I went to Morehouse a half century ago, there were a thousand students. There are well over 2,000 students there today. You know, so the, they haven't all gotten huge, but they've certainly increased in enrollment. And today, you know, 250,000 students attend hist- the 101 historically black colleges. I would say to that, you know, there's, there's another group of institutions which has emerged called predominantly black institutions, and they're defined by the Department of Education as institutions that have 40% of their students are African-American and 50% of their students are Pell eligible. Mm-hmm. And those institutions have another quarter of a, a million students attending them. So what I would say is black students continue to want to congregate in environments where they are a significant percentage of the enrollment. And I think that's because, not because they are unwilling to be in environments where there are white students, but these are environments which tend to be more welcoming and more embracing and less hostile, which is, I think our listeners may know, there have been real issues of campus climate for Black folks at predominantly white institutes. So how did that manifest itself in the results for students? I know there's been a lot of research about income outcomes. You made reference earlier to creating gateways to advancement, to postgraduate degrees, physicians, lawyers, academics. What does the overall data say? Well, you know, the, the, the reality is that, you know, Black folks have not achieved academically what their white peers have achieved. I believe that, um, you know, it's about 25% or a quarter of all African-Americans who are 25 years or older hold hold a bachelor's degree. That's Mm -hmm. one in four. Right. For the population writ large, it's 35%. You know, the greatest predictor of whether you're going to get a college degree is whether your parents have one. You know, and another predictor is your income. And the obstacles are that Black students still tend to go to underperforming K-12 through schools that don't prepare them for college, and they don't have the financial resources to pay. So that's a kind of a vicious cycle which has kept us at the bottom of the education attainment ladder. And I think, and you know, it's certainly our view at UNCF that, that that has had adverse impact on wealth in our community the quality of our life, and our engagement as citizens. And it also has health impacts. So we want more education. And our belief is that the more education that African-Americans attain, better for them, better for our communities, but also better for our nation. So UNCF member institutions won't be benefiting from hundreds of years of donations and 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 big endowments. I know you've been very active, as have your member institutions, in raising money, and you've had some considerable and highly visible success recently. What's the case you make to today's philanthropists who are so eager for a kind of proof of concept and a metrics-based giving where they can see that they're getting a return on their philanthropic investment? 
You, well, you know, we, we, we roll with the punches. And if the environment says, you know, give us a return on investment and it has to be data driven, we, we accept that. But most HBCUs are either open enrollment or they are moderately selective so that they're really, they see their mission as helping ambitious students who have academic challenges and financial challenges and little experience with higher education to be successful. And what's, what can I say t- to demonstrate the return on investment? Well, one of the things I can say that a low-income first-generation student who goes to a historically Black college, within three years of graduation, that student will be earning more than someone who just has a high school diploma. Uh-huh. So that's a first step. And then if that individual student stays there for six years, then that student will be earning on average $50,000 a year, which will mean that student is no longer low income and wouldn't qualify for a Pell Grant, which is the sort of the general marker for low income students. 10 years after graduation, that student will be earning $71,000 a year and will actually be earning more than a non-first-generation low-income student who graduated from some other college. So you see on the socioeconomics that these institutions are engines of social mobility. What's the number one obstacle to these students succeeding? It's generally resources. These are good schools that are doing a great job with some of the most needy students we have, students who are first-generation, low-income, and probably attended uh, a low-performing high school, and will require some remediation. But you know what? We're very good at dealing with that student. What we need is additional financial support. And if that student gets just a $5,000 scholarship from UNCF, her graduation rate will go to 70%. And what we've seen, students who get full rides at our institutions, as they did if they received a Gates Millennium Scholarship, which was supported by Bill and Melinda Gates, at Spelman College, they had almost a 100% graduation rate for all of their Gates scholars. And all of those scholars were Pell-eligible students. I'd, I'd like to kind of introduce how things have unfolded in in the last year in the United States. But before we get there, you've been at UNCF since 2004, I believe. How has the world changed in terms of everything from philanthropy to the engagement of students and the interest level of students in being at a majority-minority campus as opposed to the allure of going to the traditional schools that historically excluded African-Americans? This has been a journey for the nation and not just for me. So, you know, I'm, I'm a 72-year-old, still hardworking adult. But in 1964, when I was 16 years old and I was making a decision about where I would go to college, life just happened and I wound up going to Morehouse College from Los Angeles, California. And I remember in 1964, my peer classmates, middle-class black kids whose families had fled the South, uh, saying to me, why would you go to Georgia to go to college? You could go stay in Los Angeles and go to UCLA or go to USC. And as it happened, I went to Morehouse. That trek in 1964 back to the South, I was in the minority. Hmm. Today, California is the second largest feeder into Morehouse 
and Spelman Interesting. and Clark at Miami mm-hmm. University. Mm-hmm. Because black kids really have decided, I'd like to see what it's like to be in the majority and that they'll hear from their peers that attending an HBCU gave them a sense of community, a sense of greater identity, and better prepared them for the world that they will encounter when they graduate. They can be like my grandson, who will be a freshman at Morehouse this year, who is going there because we have a long tradition of attending historically black colleges in our family, which goes back to the 19th century. And and he wants to be a part of that. For other students, it will be that you know their family members have attended predominantly white institutions and they want to try this other brand. And for other institute students who will, this will be the first step on the educational ladder for them. They think that they'll be more comfortable, they'll get more support by going to an institution where their race really is not held against them. Michael, we're talking in July 2020, obviously, while the COVID-19 pandemic is still affecting the economy broadly and higher education specifically. But more importantly, it's also in the era after the murder of George Floyd, uh, where there's been a real resurgence of discussion and debate about inequality in America, the original sin of America, slavery. How are you thinking about that institutionally? How can you improve the understanding of people about these issues? And and how do you think that's going to affect UNCF and its member institutions? It's really made me feel even greater commitment and conviction around the strategy which I have dedicated my life to which is a strategy that says more education, greater opportunity, better results for individuals and for my own community. Uh, Obviously, I think there are a lot of things that we have to do in America to be a more just and equal society. We have to change public policies around uh, criminal justice. We have to address health disparities. We have to provide for greater economic opportunities within the communities where Black people still congregate so that the small businesses can be successful. And so my strategy, and I believe it's the strategy we're adopting at UNCF, is one that says we want to support great K-12 through education for low-income Black kids so that when they graduate from high school, they're college ready and they can go on to either an HBCU or a predominantly Black institution or any other institution and get a post-secondary degree because we believe in the 21st century that a high school diploma is going to be insufficient and that there will be uh, additional education required. Some of these young people will get badges and credentials and they won't get a formal degree, but they'll get certifications that will mean that they can do certain kinds of tech work, or they can do certain kinds of work in health professions. And that may be the end of their educational journey, or it just may be the next step that will be followed by further steps that could lead to degrees. And I think this is a real big moment for America, Joe. It's a big moment. Will we be able to ensure that low-income kids and all kids who are in K-12 through will continue to be educated, whether it's in traditional classrooms or virtually? doesn't look like we're doing a great job on that, but we've still got time. Uh, At UNCF, we sent 700 faculty members to programs that enabled them to figure out how to convert their traditional curriculum 
to online. And we think online is going to play a big role in the fall and in the future. So, you know, we're trying to do everything we can to hold on to kids, to create robust learning environments, to do everything we can to make virtual interesting, exciting, and sticky. And what we are seeing is that philanthropy is beginning to think differently. You know, I've been in this job at UNCF for 16 years. We've raised $3 billion of the $5 billion that we've raised at UNCF over its 76 years during the 16 years I've been there. I've had some very big gifts, a billion dollars from Bill and Melinda Gates, but I've also had a lot, a whole lot of very small gifts. What I would say to American philanthropy, you haven't been doing your job when it comes to supporting the educational aspirations of uh, your Black citizens. I think this could be a moment, but I'm trying to make it a movement to see philanthropy giving at levels like Patty Quillen and Reed Hastings, the founder of Netflix, when they made a $120 million gift in June of 2020 to Morehouse College, to Spelman College, and to UNCF. And, you know, that $120 million is the largest gift from a private individual, not a foundation that UNCF, private individuals that UNCF has ever received. And the $40 million each that went to Morehouse and Spelman, those are the largest private gifts they've ever received. These institutions have been around for 150 years. They need to be getting more gifts like that, and all HBCUs do. You're very specific, Dr. Lomax, in your language about encouraging people to see young African Americans to seek higher educational opportunities, to, to view that as a path to success, understand the consequences. What beyond repeating that message and bringing it through new channels to people, what other forms of encouragement are needed and how does that link to philanthropy? You know, I'd like to see us doing even more to give the kids in, who are in high school today, who, if they stay on the journey, will be the first in their families to go to college, will be low, our low income, is to begin to give them a taste of what it's like to be on a college campus sooner. So, you know, either to do that virtually, as we're going to have to do that for the foreseeable future, but to do it in person. Uh, you know, I first set foot on a college campus when I was 13 years old, when I visited Tuskegee Institute and when my family was traveling in the Deep South. That was my first time on a black college campus. It stuck with me for the rest of my life. So I think one of the things I'm a big believer in is, as I've just noted, experiential learning. And so uh, I'd like to see more young kids, even in high school, getting internships and beginning to connect the dots between what they learn in a classroom and what they can do as earners in the real world. And certainly on the college campuses to make sure that our students are getting a chance to both learn and earn. I think connecting what they're learning to what they want to do with their lives and how they will earn will keep them on that pathway. But also, I think that an education is preparation for civic participation, for a healthier life, and for leadership. And so, you know, I'm an, I'm an English major. I was in the humanities. I believe in liberal education. But I think today more than ever, as we question our values as a nation and what we believe in, education plays that role as well. And if it's preparing people for civic engagement, 
if it's preparing them for leadership and for careers and for jobs and for making you know, meaningful contributions to the economy, then we're getting everything that we need from our citizens. Certainly, our research here at the Managing the Future of Work project underscores a lot of what you said, everything from the value of um, uh, work-based learning opportunities in a young person's life, the opportunity to expose to new ideas institutions like your trip to Tuskegee, the founded by Booker T. Washington, the home of the legendary airmen, just getting exposure to it, and whether it's work or advanced learning, and becoming more comfortable seeing, being able to envision yourself doing it is so integral to people's success. And of course, college graduation, more than matriculation, is hugely correlated with all forms of economic success and societal success, household formation and intact marriages and, and the things that we know correlate to good outcomes for people. So, Michael, when you're seeking philanthropic support for historically black colleges, universities, are there specific things you want to target with that money? Because so often in philanthropy, it's not just the ability to make the ask, it's engaging a donor in an ex specific and exciting need that they find motivating. I think they really, if they can envision a young Black student getting the support she needs to live an enriched and more productive life and begin to see that aspiration as, as important for the nation, that's really important. Uh, black colleges depend too much on grants, and I think they've got to build more assets, so helping them build their endowments is important. And getting them less reliant on borrowing to improve the qualities of the campus and getting philanthropy, philanthropic investment. So one of the things that we've really spent a lot of time working on is, you know, how do we teach black colleges to fish as opposed to do the fishing mm -hmm. for them? And that means how do we build out their capability? So strengthening their relationships with their alumni and getting alumni to give more, getting more individual gifts, helping them do a better job on not just attracting students, but packaging students. And that's a term of art, which means making sure that they can pay all their bills. And you do that by understanding what the student and their family can do, but you also have resources to match that with scholarship support. You know, if the public policy is right, then I don't have to spend quite so much time on it because you know, if I could get, for example, the federal government to double the Pell Grant, uh, $6,000 is the amount that is currently spent on every low-income student who goes to college in America. Well, that amount isn't keeping pace with inflation. And if we could double that, if we could get that to $12,000 a year, that would really reduce my reliance on philanthropy, but it would also give more students more opportunities to go to the college they want to go to as opposed to the one that's maybe cheapest and most convenient. Are there other expressions of public policy you'd like to see? Certainly in the presidential primary for the Democratic Party, there are a number of candidates who are throwing around some big numbers about investments in HBCUs. Um, yeah. Well, I'm interested, your observation about Pell would not be unique to UNCF member institutions. That would be applicable at uh, University of Massachusetts uh, here in Amherst or at, at Harvard as well as at Spelman uh, or Tuskegee? I actually think that American higher education has got to be 
an engine of social and economic mobility more broadly. And what we know about some of our most elite institutions is they're not really doing as much on the mobility side because so many of their students already who come there come from the very top ranks of American wealth. So if I double Pell, I'm helping low-income white students. I'm reducing their reliance on debt because education is this economic and social escalator, and we want more people to get on that escalator. So yes, I think that's really, really important. But I also believe that the institutions that serve low-income minority students are under-resourced in this country. So the coalition we've built at UNCF is historically black colleges, but with tribal colleges and Hispanic serving institutions and institutions that serve Asian and Pacific Islander students. There are hundreds of institutions that serve minority students, and there are millions of students who attend those institutions, and I believe we should invest more in them. So I think many of us are hopeful that 2020 will be the beginning of, of something that's structural and lasting in terms of bring about needed change in the country. As you think about your ambitions for UNCF going forward, what are you hoping to accomplish and what are the, the things that you'd like to make sure you and your member institutions can get done to advance that purpose and, and to secure the future for uh, historically black colleges and universities? So over the short term, I'm trying to raise about $500 million that will largely go to providing incentives for students to return and for strengthening faculty and improving the services. And one of those big services is going to be mental health services on these campuses because these kids have been traumatized. My goal is to have an endowment at UNCF, which is an endowment that is supporting all 101 historically black colleges, not just the 37 that are members of UNCF. And my goal is $6 billion because if we have $6 billion, historically black colleges will be at, you know, sort of at parity with equivalent institutions in terms of endowment assets. But want to say to all those wealthy philanthropists who are getting, you know, the benefit of tax exempt status by having foundations, invest a little differently, broaden your investment and deepen your investment in historically black colleges. We're worthy of the investment and you will have an incredible return in a new generation of African-Americans, not at the bottom, but closer to the middle, and who are having productive careers, who are engaged citizens, and are leaders in their communities and for our nation. At UNCF, we believe that a mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. Dr. Michael Lomax, CEO of UNCF, thanks for joining us on this Managing the Future of Work podcast from Harvard Business School. Joe, thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this uh, wonderful podcast and to just on our own to have a great conversation, two friends talking about uh, education, the workforce, opportunity in the future. We hope you enjoy the Managing the Future of Work podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find out more about the Managing the Future of Work project at our website, hbs.edu forward slash managing the future of work. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter.